Okay, well, that first song was, Oh, Worship the King. The next one, uh, this morning, we will find on, well, in my hymnal, Trinity, is hymn 54, Hallelujah, Raise, O oh, Raise.
Psalm 1, as we are starting. I haven't done this um, since we've been looking at Genesis, but let me read the book in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 1. It reads this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law, is in the law of the Lord. And and on his law he meditates day to night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1. Well, let's do one more hymn. And this one is, um, in, if you're following along in the Trinity hymnal, it's hymn 35, My God, How Wonderful Thou Art. God. 
Okay, so we are okay. We are back in Genesis. We've covered Genesis uh, one through sixteen in the last three weeks. We are now going to venture into chapter seventeen. We'll try to hit. Well, we will hit eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. I don't think we'll get to twenty-one, the birth of Isaac. But we will get through these uh, four chapters. So, um, you can follow along with me. I'm reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. It's uh, It mimics the uh, New American Standard, which is something that I grew up in. Uh, this reads a little bit easier uh, for us. So, I think, um, I think you'll be able to follow along a little bit better So um, with this version. But let me, let me read. And then again, I'll just I'm going to make comments as we uh, go along, and so let's let's follow along here. It reads this way in chapter 17: When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, "I am God Almighty. Walk before me, and be blameless, that I may may make my covenant between me and you." And may you multiply, and may and may multiply you greatly. Let me just stop there. When I, so we're looking at Abram here. He's 99 years old. Uh, most of us know this story well, but he's 99 years old. The Lord God appeared to him, Abram. I am the Lord God Almighty, or I am God Almighty, and um, that would uh, um. That that's his that's his uh, name. It, it would be translated in Hebrew El Shaddai, meaning he is the Almighty. Um, he is the Almighty. He is God Almighty, and we see this a reflection in Genesis chapter one, all the way through, that he is God. He is the Almighty. He is the Creator. He's the sustainer of life. He gives life. He produces life. He creates things. Uh, we we as uh, the creation. Um, just worship him and come before him but he is I he says here in verse 1 I am God Almighty so here we have this established that that God is sovereign in all things so God is proclaiming his sovereignty he controls he directs he moves he he stops he 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 uh, corrects but but it's God God's in sovereign control of all things and so we see that here well let's keep going so he says in verse two that I may make that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to Abram, God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, which is just what that means. A father of a multitude, a father of multitude. So he he's going to be the father of the multitudes. Every every Jew that comes after him, he will he will be their father. He's the great father for for the nation of of uh, Israel. But it goes beyond that. He, he is everyone who proclaims Christ today. He is the father. He's the first. God pulled him out. God made his covenant with him, and we fall in line with that. We're not Jews, but by by uh, by birth of being a Christian, by being born again, 
we fall into his lineage uh, of, uh, of his line. So let's keep going. He says, um, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And that explains the name Abraham right there, right? So for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into, into nations and kings shall come from you. So it's just, it's just not the kings of Israel. Yes, indeed it is, but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. Uh, let's keep going. And he says, uh, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So again, so this is an everlasting covenant. This covenant never breaks. When, when God makes a promise, he keeps that promise. When God redeems a, a sinner, if that sinner truly repents and believes in Christ, that he died on the cross, here in this New Testament era, God doesn't forsake that individual. And same here with, with the nation of Israel, with Abram, with now Abraham. God has made an everlasting covenant. You can't call it an everlasting covenant if you get to a certain point in time and Israel sins beyond belief. And, and the New Testament where the, where, the, where the nation of Israel, the Pharisees, persecute, crucify, and murder Christ. That, that, that covenant that, he, that God made with Abraham here in chapter 17 still is applicable. It's still live. It's, it's, that's, that's an everlasting covenant. Everlasting. It, it, it means just what it means. Everlasting. No end. He says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offsprings after you, your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So it's not, so even when, Ab we're going to see here in the next chapters, Abram's going to struggle and, and he's going he's to sin again against God, against his wife, Sarah. And, and God doesn't say, okay, you blew it. I gave you a chance. No, you know what? That covenant is broken. No, it doesn't work that way. God is faithful. God is true. God holds his promise. He doesn't break his promise ever. And so, anyway, so let's keep going. He says in verse 8, And I will, give you, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourns, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So again, we, we see this here. That, that God not only gives the promise of this covenant with Abram, now Abraham, but also to the land. So the land of, 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 uh, of Canaan, that land is still promised to them. They, they sinned, yes. They lost the land. They were moved out. They were, they were pushed out. They came back. They're there today. And that land is, has been promised to them, not to any other nation, not to any other people, but to them. We'll see this eventually if, if we go long enough to, to see in, in Revelation. That, that land is promised even then and held then, an everlasting promise, an everlasting possession, in verse 8 says. In verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. Plural. Verse 10, this is my covenant, which you, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. 
Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So let me just stop there. So, so what's the sign of the covenant? How do we know that God made a covenant with Abraham and his people and generations and his kings after him? These people is the sign for the Jew. So now we, now we have to be careful. The sign for the Jew in, in Abraham's day all the way into right now, the sign of the covenant between God and Abraham, God and man, is that every male would be circumcised with his foreskin. So that skin would be cut off, and, and that would be the sign of, of the covenant. Um, and, and there's many reasons for that. One is health, but more than that, more than health, it's, it's, it, it deals with th- this is the sign that I made with Abraham. And, and Abraham was to keep that promise, that, that, that sign. Verse 12, he says, He who is eight days older among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or, or bought with, with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be sh- surely circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male, verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So if there's a Jew who doesn't want to be circumcised, no matter what the age, from eight days forward to 88, what does it matter? If he is not circumcised, he's to be put out. He's to be shunned. He's to put out. This is, this is God's commandment then. This is God's directive. This is the sign of the covenant. If you want to be my covenant people, Abraham, if you if your people want to be my covenant people, Abraham, this is the sign of the covenant, circumcision. Again, the idea there is to show that 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 uh, through this process that they are a different and distinct people. Now, I, I need to remind you as well circumcision is not new to this to this generation of people there were other uh tribes or other people that that were circumcised but this was unique as a nation that every individual male would be circumcised not just some not just if you wanted to not because there was an issue uh with their foreskin it was this male population of the jewish people this was the sign of the covenant and the idea also is that it, it, it's a purification. It, it's with the male organ that that sin is reproduced in another individual, in, a, in another person. So, so it's a reality that, that through, through um, production, reproduction process, that the seed of the male, um, the sperm of the male, is, is, um, is producing other sinners. And so the idea is that we, it's a purification. We, we want to be pure. It, it's symbolic, yes. But it, the reality is, is that God commanded Abraham to do this thing. So let's keep going in, in verse 15, in chapter, in chapter 17. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. And, her, and Sarah means princess. Um, so now, so now uh, Sarah is no longer Sarai. She's Sarah. And, and Sarah means princess. Her name shall be. I will bless her, and moreover, 
I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, O oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah shall be, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his offspring, for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So we, we heard about Hagar, and we heard about Ishmael. born. Uh, Hagar is an Egyptian uh, mistress to Abraham. Uh, to Sarah, she was her, her uh, servant. Um, Sarah, we saw this in last week, that said to herself, you know, I can't produce you any children. We know that the, this line has to continue. So, uh, so Sarah said to Abram, you know, let, let her do this, and then you will have a son from her, and we will be blessed. What happens? Uh, uh, Hagar has his child. Sarah uh, gets upset, pushes her out. Angel of the Lord comes back, uh, epiphany of, of, the, of, of the Lord, meets her at the well under the tree, sends her back. She, she obeys. She has Ishmael. Ishmael, it's going to be Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael will be an enemy of Israel all the way through this Old Testament as today. And Isaac will be down the line of Christ when Christ will come in the New Testament. So uh, Abraham has has pity on Ishmael, you know, you know, use him. And God says, well, I'm going to use him. He's, I'm going to multiply him greatly. There's going to be 12 princes from him. He's going to be a great nation. And this great nation is going to be an enemy of Israel. But in verse 21, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac. The covenant is not with Ishmael. The covenant is with Isaac and Abraham and all those who follow Isaac. And so he says, uh, this, the angel of the Lord says, which is Christ. It's an, like, again, it's a, an epiphany of, of who Christ is, uh, who Sarah shall bear at this time next year. In verse 22, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. And God said to him, Abraham, I'm sorry, as God said to him, so, so let me just stop there. So, so this was not, okay, well, God, you know, directed me and I'll do this tomorrow. You know, I got to get things ready. I'm going to do it next week. I got to plan for this and get all these charts set up and identify all these people, you know, make sure it's okay with the parents, make sure it's okay with them. No. Abraham listens to God. He obeys God immediately, directly. And any male that was born in the line of Abraham, blood line, he circumcised. All those, his, the servants, the slaves, any male, bought and purchased he circumcises them 
that day. It says that, right? When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham, who left. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his sons, and all those men and all those boys, and he circumcised them on that very day. So in verse 20, uh, so in verse 24, it says this, Abraham was 99 years old when he had circumcised in the, when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, 99 years old. I just, I just can't imagine even doing it at any age. Uh, but anyway, so, so at 99 years old, Abraham was circumcised in verse 25, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from foreigners were circumcised with him. So there we have chapter 17. The, the, the covenant between Abraham and God was made. And the, uh, the sign is circumcision. We see that we see that's the circumcision of, of every male. We see Abraham was promised Isaac. And Sarai was going to be his mother. In chapter 18, let's keep going. In chapter 18, the Lord appeared to him by the oak of Mamre. As he sat at the door of, the, of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Verse 4, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I'll bring morsels of bread that you may refresh yourself and after, you have, and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said to Abram, Abraham, do as you have said. And Abram went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seals, which is seven cords, three seals of fine flour. Knead them and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds of milk and a calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they while they ate so again these are angels the, the one the first one the lord yahweh the lord appeared to him so we have two angels and we have an epiphany of 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 jesus christ here's here's christ in the old testament he's alive he's real he's moving with within the the uh, the domain of man and we see him there this is what Abraham sees. This is who this is who Abraham is talking to. He's not talking to the two angels. He's ta he's talking to the Lord, and so he feeds them, he nourishes them, he waters them, and they ate. In verse nine, then they they said to him, "Where is Sarah, your wife?" And he said, "She is in the tent." The Lord said, "I will surely return to you." about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. 
the way of a woman the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah so Sarah laughed so in other words she's 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 old right she's 90 years old the reproduction process for her body has withered up is gone how can that be so Sarah's listening to this she's behind the tent door she's listening to the Lord tell Abraham what is going to happen in a year from now and she's behind the tent door and it's it's more than what she could really kind of comprehend but but let's go back and look at this so and 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 Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him verse 11 now Abraham and Sarah were old advanced in years the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah so verse 12 so Sarah laughed to herself saying after I am worn out and my Lord is old shall I have pleasure so that the idea is that is that she's worn out and, and not only is she old, she realized she's 90, and Abraham is 99. She, can she, will I have pleasure? And it's not just pleasure um, producing Isaac and, and, and finally getting the promise of Isaac, but, but I think it goes beyond that. It, it, it's intimacy. It, it's the intimacy of that pleasure, which produces the pleasure of their son Isaac. So she says, I'm worn out. And my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Verse 14 says this, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Beloved, (laughs) that's an amazing sentence that is found in chapter 18. Think about this. We, we, we talked about this in, in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you struggle with God creating everything out of nothing, if you struggle with that as a Christian, then your faith needs to be built up. And you must sit underneath teachers, godly teachers. Associate yourself with godly men and women. Study. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to intercede in your life that you might believe that and accept that. You can't believe that without the Holy Spirit. But we're talking about miracles, right? When God created, those were, in essence, were the greatest miracles ever. He produced the world out of nothing. And time and time again, the flood, it goes on and on. And so here we see is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Why? Because he is God. He is sovereign. He is king of kings. There is nothing impossible for God. There is nothing hard for God. If God could take a, a, a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman and, and their reproductive systems are gone, and yet God said Isaac will come from Sarah, then God can do anything. Nothing is too difficult. Nothing is too hard. Nothing is out of reach. Or, or, or maybe another way, is, is anything too wonderful? Would be probably be the Hebrew word. Is anything too wonderful for God? And the answer is no. I mean, just look and reflect on your own lives. Most of you, if not all of you, me included, sinful, deceitful, prideful, arrogant, murder in our heart, murder in our mind, sinned against God, rejected Christ, rejected God, rejected the things that are righteous and good. And yet God, by his miraculous power, by indeed a miracle, saved us. 
by grace, by his love, by his grace, by his mercy, we bent our knee our knees and fell on our face and asked God to forgive us of our sins. We accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Is anything too hard? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? The answer is no. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is absolutely no. It's, it's an amazing sentence that's found here in verse 14 of chapter 18. There is nothing too wonderful. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing. And the beauty of the uh, uh, and the proof of the beauty is going to be Isaac. The seed that was promised, the, the the line that's going to continue because of Isaac, and we'll see how that line follows through. But this is just an amazing sentence, beloved. There is nothing too hard. There is nothing too wonderful for God to produce. And in this case, in Abraham and Sarah's life, it's Isaac. In your case, in my case, it's a new birth. We have been reborn. We have been redeemed. By the way, beloved, we were not rebuilt. We weren't taken and rebuilt. You know, added this or fixed this or changed this or modified this. No, we are brand new. Brand new. We are brand new in Christ. If we are in Christ, we are brand new in Christ. Not rebuilt, not modified, not, not tuned up. No, we're brand new. We come to Christ. We come to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit brand new because there's nothing too wonderful there's nothing too hard for the lord to do let's continue with verse 14 is there anything too hard or too wonderful for the lord to do question mark rhetorical question then it goes on at the appointed time i will return to you about this time next year and sarah shall have a son but sarah denied it saying i did not laugh for she was afraid he said, the Lord of the angel, the epiphany of Jesus Christ, that angel said, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> Beloved, we would laugh. I mean, you can't say, sir, how can you not believe that? Oh, man, you should have just accepted and just put, you know, stood up and stood in attention and said, yeah, no. How could it be? How could that possibly be? And, and the angel of the Lord said, no, you did laugh. Verse 16. Then the men set out from there. Well, let me stop for there. So, so in chapter 18, 1, th 1 through 15, we, we're seeing this account of, of, the, of, of the epiphany of Jesus, two angels, and the prediction or the proclamation that Sarah and Abraham would have a son a year from now. We've seen in chapter 17 that, that God made a, a covenant with Abraham. And that, that covenant is circumcision. We see in chapter 17 the birth of Isaac promised. In chapter 16, we see Her Sarah, Sarah and Haggai uh, through this. So, so we're, we're moving through this chronicle of history, uh, of, this, of this amazing history that we are part of. We, we are part of the, the Abraham is, if we're a Christian, Abraham is our father in that sense. And, and I think we sung that in, in Bible school, right? Father Abraham had many sons and many sons. So it goes on like that. You know? So that just plays into where we are today as Christians, that, that, that Abraham is, in essence, and indeed is our father. Now things change a little bit in chapter 18, from verse 16 on, and we're going to see this, this, this dramatic change. So after this, after this uh, uh, account with Abraham and Sarah and the names being changed, Isaac being proclaimed to be born, 
a year from now. Then verse 16 says, Then the men set out from there, the men being the angels, and Jesus, the epiphany of Jesus. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. So we have these four heading out and about. Verse 17, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham surely shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. So, in other words, we're Sodom. The word, the word Sodom comes in, right, in verse 16. At this time, Abraham and everybody in that culture, everybody in that, in that area, probably everybody in that whole region of Canaan, all the way down into Egypt and across to, to uh, uh, Babylon and up to Haran. I mean, everybody knows the Sodom, the city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah. And so Abraham knows, Abraham leaves with these three men, the two angels and, and Jesus, and they come to Sodom. And God's saying, you know, is, is, uh, is Abraham capable to see and understand what's going to happen here? So there's, there's an intention there. So verse 19, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. This is important. This is very important. So I'm going to keep that he would keep, that Abraham and his household would keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Right? Two different words, two di different meanings. Righteousness is to be holy, to be set apart, to, to do what is right, and then justice, to see if that righteousness is not righteous and deal with it. So we have grace, and we have grace cloaked in judgment. So he's saying to Abraham, you know, he's saying, can, 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 can indeed Abraham comprehend the righteousness that is good and right and holy? And then to see that righteousness that is not, which is sin, and evilness, perverse, pervertedness, and then deal with it with justice. And so it goes on to say, and actually, let me just read that again from the top of verse 19. For I have chosen him. Again, i got to go back to this. We're dealing with the sovereignty of God in every aspect, in every facet of Scripture. Abraham didn't choose God. Right? I mean, it's clear. It's God who chose Abraham. God is the creator. Abraham is the created. God is the creator. You and I, beloved, we are the created. And God moves within us. And it's God who does the work. Just as in salvation. Let me just stop for a second. Because I'm going to pull this way back to this reality. It's God who saves. It's God who moves. And it's God, the third person of the Trinity, the, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, who directs us and opens our eyes to the truth. And once we see the truth that we are indeed are sinners and saved by grace and repent and believe in Christ, it's God who did that work. Our portion is two things. One, we are sinful, so we just sin all the time. And the other one is to acknowledge that by the power of the Holy Spirit, He, the Holy Spirit, opening our eyes. But it's God who chose. 
there are men who think they chose God. Well, they might have chose God, but it's only because God has allowed them to believe, to see, to hear, and to repent. It's God who does that work. It's God who chooses. Our response is twofold. We are just sinners and we only can sin. And two, recognizing that sin, once the Holy Spirit enlightens us and sees that sin, and we repent and believe. So I'm going back here in verse 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. What he has promised him? Eternal life, right? Eternal covenant. Eternal promise of the land. God makes promises. God cannot break a promise ever. God can, I want to make this clear, God can never break a promise ever. Never. it's, it's It's not even in God's makeup. There is no sin in God. There is no evil in God. There is nothing that God could ever do to break his promise or his everlasting promise. Because if he could, that would not be God. That would be man. That would be you and me. We break promises all the time. We, we break a covenant. We break a, an oath all the time. Why? Because we're fallen. We're depraved. We're sinners. Even once we're saved and we are brand new in Christ, we still sin and we still struggle. That's the beauty of repentance and prayer, to go back to God and pray and ask God's forgiveness of those sins. But God is not that way. God is perfect. He is holy. He is just. He is sovereign. He is pure love, pure grace. He is perfect. He can never break a promise. He can never say everlasting and say, oh, I'm just taking that back. It wasn't everlasting. It was only everlasting to this generation. No, it's everlasting. Verse 20, then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. If not, I will know. So we have these three angels, technically two angels, Christ as the, as the Lord, the Yahweh, and we have Abraham. God's on his, they're on their way towards Sodom. And God says, you know, can, can Abraham deal with this, what I'm about to do? He, but he, but he, that's a rhetorical question as well, because God knows that he's going to do what he's going to do with Abraham uh, to show him. But, but the idea here is that he's, he's God speaking, and when Moses writes this, he is bringing God down. And I got to be careful when I say this. He is bringing God's, let's put put it this way. He is bringing God's truth, the reality of his grace and of his knowledge, of his sovereignty, down to man's level so that man, you and I, could understand what's going to happen, the truth of what's going to happen. Never do we want to say we want to bring God down to our level, ever. But but in the way of knowledge that we might understand and grasp the truth in Scripture, this is what it's referring to. So then, God understands. This is well known. Abraham knows this, that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. He is saying, I'm going to go down to see whether they have altogether, according to their outcry, has come to me. So the outcry is, is prayers being petitioned to God to say, this sin in Sodom and Gomorrah is just insane. Lord, help 
help those who are good, if there's any good in there, help those who are good or who surround Sodom and Gomorrah or outside of that cities. We hear the, their, their cry, it's, it's perversion, it's just sinful, it's beyond belief. And so God says, in this way, in this case, Yahweh is saying, let's go down, see if indeed it is what it is. And, and he knows the answer. But again, he's bringing it so that we might comprehend what's going on here. So in chapter 18, verse 22, so the men returned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. So what do we have here? So Abraham and Yahweh, the Lord, stand on the top of the mountain, and the other two, they went down towards Sodom. So the, that's the picture. If you can picture standing on top of, uh, I don't know, uh, well, I don't want to say Job's Peak here in Carson Valley. That's probably too high. But maybe on top of the hill um, towards Carson, and, and the other two men ventured down into Carson City. Not, not that Carson City of Sodom and Gomorrah, but that's just an idea of how th this works. So Abraham and, and Yahweh are stopped on the top of the hill, and the other two angels, in this case they call them men, but they're angels indeed, walk down to Sodom. So it says, But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, <laughs> what a beautiful picture, right? So they're probably, what, five feet, eight feet, six feet, ten feet apart? They're standing there separated? Uh, the, the two angels venture down into Sodom. You see, you see them walking. Abraham moves close to the Lord. What a sweet picture. I mean, you know, so, the simplicity of Scripture is, is, is breathtaking at times. And, and this is one of those times. And here, here's Abraham, and he, and he comes to the Lord, he, probably bumping shoulders, or maybe out of respect, not touching his shoulder to shoulder, but getting close enough to where you just touch him. What a thought that is, to come that close to the Lord. And Abraham knows that he's the angel. It, I think at this point he probably knows he's the Lord, he's Yahweh. Anyways, verse 23, Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And so, again, we got to go back up to, uh, back up to verse 19, right? God says after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So you got to keep those two words in your mind as we go through this chapter. Uh, and 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 chapter 19. Again, the Lord wants us to keep him the way of the Lord. So, so God is preparing Abraham to keep the way of the Lord, which is righteousness, holiness, sinlessness, obedience to God, and then the word justice. Or, and that's going to come into judgment. In this case, they're synonymous. So you have righteousness, judgment, or, uh, uh, I should say justice, and then slash judgment. So God's preparing that. He's preparing us. He's preparing the reader, us, who are reading this today, as well as them back then, for what's going to come. So again, verse 23. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? So everyone knows that there's wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's well-known fact. It's known everywhere. God knows, but he's going he's gonna to explain it to us this way for our simplicity. And so, so Abraham gets close to the Lord and says, you know, will you indeed sweep away the righteous? So, so Abraham's hoping that there are righteous people in this perverted city. You know, I say that perverted city, and I, I think of cities here in, in America. Um, and I'll just leave that at that. Will you indeed sweep away the righteousness with the wicked? Suppose there were, are 50 righteous within the city. 
Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Right? I mean, so again, Abraham's, he's like us. I mean, so apparently Abraham knows God's going to wipe this place clean. Abraham knows who God is. He is holy. He is just. He is pure. He is sinless. And he also knows that that city down there, Sodom and Gomorrah, those cities down there are everything but that. They are sinful and there's no hope for them. And he knows that. He knows that God's going to deal with this. That's why, going back up to verse 19, righteousness and justice. There has to be justice. There has to be justice. Because God is holy and no sin or no sinner can approach God unless he's been justified sees the justice of God. So Abraham says, look, if there's 50 righteous in the city, will you sweep it away, the place, and not spare it for the 50 who are righteous in it? Verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that you be, far be that from you. Shall you not judge all the earth do what is just. So, again, Abraham knows what's happening here. He knows there might be 50 righteous there, 50 who are serving the Lord, 50 who follow God, 50 who are not participating in the sinfulness of this city. And he says, look, are you going to wipe out the righteous as well? So, you, so, so you're going to just obliterate the whole city. But what about the 50 righteous? Why should they... Why should they be punished? Why should your justice and judgment come against them? They're righteous. So, so spare them. And verse 26 says, And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Mercy. Grace. There it is. God is not a God of wrath and judgment just to have justice and righteousness and wipe the whole place out. There, there's grace. There, there's love. And so look at it. He says, if I find 50 righteous, you know what? Let's do this. I'll save it. Verse 27. Abraham answered and said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. In other words, you know, it's pretty amazing. He's saying to himself that I'm speaking to you right now, knowing who you are. And he says, so, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes. Just me. I'm just, I'm just made out of dirt and ashes. Who, who, who am I to speak to you? You know, let me just stop there too, beloved, right now. When you pray, you can't ever come to the Father saying you aren't capable of coming to him because you are just a sinner. He wants sinners to come to him. We are sinners. We are saved by grace, yes. And we are, our, our destination is glory in heaven with him. And yet we sin. And yet that sin cannot hold us back. For those who are not in Christ, for those who reject Christ, for those who reject God, you come to him as sin, sinners. You can't ever say to yourself, oh, my sin is too great. I've done too much wrong in my life. You've done X, Y, and Z, whatever it might be. No, you come to him. That's pride. That's arrogance that's keeping you from him. Just come as you are and worship the king. 
So anyways, he comes to, he says, I have, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ash. Then in verse 28, he says, suppose five, suppose five of the 50 righteous are, are, are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for, for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. So he's gone from 50 to 45. So, so you know, just maybe if there's 45, I will not destroy if I find 45 there. And he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of the 40, I will not do it. So he starts right at the 50. He gets down to the 45, gets down to 40. He's going by fives. Um goes from 50 to, to 45 to 40 are found there he, he answered for the sake of, of 40 I will not do it then he said oh let not the Lord be angry and I will speak so Abraham's really kind of pushing his luck here he's gone from 50 to 45 to, to 40 then he said oh let not the Lord be angry and I will speak suppose 30 are found there suppose just 30 are found there and, and the Lord, Yahweh, said, Behold, I have under... I, I'm sorry. He, he said, Abraham said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. So we've gone from 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 down to 20. I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. He's pushing his luck. He says, Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, Yahweh answered. He said, For the sake of the 20, I will not destroy it. Then Abraham said, Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So Abraham was far away from, from Yahweh. He comes right next to him, and he pleads his case if there's 50, if there's 45, if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 20, or if there are 10, will you not save this place? He says, yes. Absolutely. There's God's grace. There is God's grace in its full glory and splendor. Beloved, by all rights, God should, the way our, the way our country, the way this world is right now, in its deep perversion and, and the way it just seems to be rapidly descending into the abyss of sinfulness and pervertedness, you would think God would just wipe it out and start over again. We know this, right? Because we've gone through Genesis. It won't be with a flood. God will not destroy ever to destroy the world with water, ever. But next time it will be, as he's going to do here with Sodom and Gomorrah, with fire. And everything we see will just be consumed we we know we know that in the Old Testament, in in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the New Testament uh, Revelation and the books uh, of the New Testament, the epistles. We know that it won't be by water, but it would be by fire. And 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 we're waiting for Christ to come back and redeem His elect, His people, the church. That's coming, and you say to yourself right now, really, surely He should do that right now. Why doesn't he? Well, I think scripture is clear. Not until the last one is called, and because the church is still here, he won't. See, in our day and age, in our time, it's the church 
It's the elect. It's the believers. It's the Christians, those who call upon the name of the Lord. It's this Christian community that's keeping God from destroying us all at once. Rolling it all up in a scroll and calling us home and destroying the sinful the sinful, the sinful people here on earth. But it's because the church, God has not done that. Again, God's in sovereign control of everything. N- not just the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun and the wind and the moon and the stars and, and, and the rivers and the streams and the trees growing and, and, and shedding its leaves in the fall. God's in control of all that, but he's in control of, every, of everything, even time. So, God's going to work when God works. Verse 1 in chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So again, so we're bringing, remember, Lot went one way. He went to the east, and, and Abraham stayed, to the, stayed where he was in the upper plains. Sodom went down close to Sodom. Uh, at, I should say Lot went down close to Sodom. Eventually, he goes to Sodom. Here in verse 1 in chapter 19, we see that he's sitting at the gate. What does that indicate to us? Well, in that time, in, in, that, in that generation, in, in that era of people, anybody, any of the men who sat at the gate, they were the rulers. They, they were the wise men. They were the ones who uh, made the rules, made the laws, enforced the laws, talked about things that were going on in that town, in that community. Lot was involved. Lot is, is God's man. Abraham was God's man, and so was Lot. Uh, Lot is his nephew uh, to, to Abraham, and Lot's sitting at the gate. He has, he has uh, authority. Let's keep going on. When Lot saw them, the two angels, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. So apparently these angels are obvious. These men are obvious who they are. They're not just men, but they're servants of the Lord. And he said in verse 2, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house, and spend the night and wash your feet. So right away, Lot knows what's going on. And what's amazing is why is Lot there? We're gonna, I'll bring this out a little bit here in a, in a little bit, but why is Lot there? He knows the perversion. He, he, he's full aware of that. It's, in, in essence, or in a sense, it doesn't make sense, but he sees the angels of the Lord. He knows what's going on in that city, in those cities. And he says, you know what? Don't, don't dilly-dally. Just come to my house. Don't see what's going on. Just get out, of, get, out of the, get out of the square, get out of the city, and just come to my house. So he says, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go your way. They said, no, no. We will spend the night in the town square. That was common, right? Sojourners, those traveling, would f- try to find a place, or they would just simply bedroll, eat and bedroll in, 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 this, in the midst of the city, where everybody else is at. And so they said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. So he talked to them, saying, look it, not a good deal. I'm telling you, don't stay there, come to our house. So he convinced them. He made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. 
uh, I can make a comment on, on the unleavened bread. It, it hasn't really been produced yet because we're going to see that in the later chapters. But the unleavened bread is, is, is that it's been purified. It, it, it has nothing in it but, but the purity of the, of the wheat. Verse 4, But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. So here's the story. Well, here's the picture. Here's the story. They, they surrounded the house. I mean, all these young and old, it didn't matter. All the men surrounded the house, and they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Again, there's that, that phrase, that know them. What does that mean? They don't want to know them just to talk to them, see what they're doing, where they've been, who they are. They want, they want to know them intimately, sexually. It's just, it's just a perverted reality of what's going on in the city. I mean, just, just homosexuality is just perverse, and it just gets deeper and deeper. There is nothing good about it. When you have homosexual friends, and we know them, right? We all know someone who's a homosexual. And you say, oh, well, aren't they just good family men? Well, they are, morally, but spiritually, it's perverted. There's nothing but it but sin. And our culture has accepted them because we've been forced to accept them because everything about our society today, in this world today, is acceptance. And this has not just happened in the, over the last 5, 10 years, but it's really gradually over the last 50 to 60, 70 years where this is just normal now. And there's nothing normal about it. Nothing. There's nothing normal about homosexuality. Nothing. And what the reality is, outside these men who might be good family men and have adopted children, outside of them, those who are just running rampant, it's pure perversion. And it's only sexual. And it's only pervertedness. Let's keep going. So he says, bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. So th so there, if you're wondering if it was a sexual desire that these men surrounded the house and wanted to know them, well, there's the answer. Lot, in essence, understands who these men are, these angels, and he's willing to sacrifice his own two daughters to satisfy the, the, the pleasures of the mob to to save the two angels the two men it's just you, you you try to wrap your head around that as a father why would you give your daughters up just to save another individual is beyond capability of us and yet lot understood who these angels were lot understood who these men were and he was willing to do anything even to sacrifice his daughters i could guarantee you those daughters were coming back alive It's just a crazy reality. You know, let me stop here and just kind of throw something in there. You know, if we were writing a book to save people, if we were writing a good health book, a good, you know, help self-health book, we wouldn't put bad stuff in it like this. What would be the purpose of that? It would just drive those away. But, but God wants us to see the sinfulness so that we might see the beauty of grace and mercy. And God is showing us the sinfulness of this. But in through that, he still saves. 
So he says, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. That's just more than I could even imagine. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under my shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourner, and he has become the judge? Now will we deal worse with you than with them? Then they pressed hard against the man Lot, and drew near to break the door down. But the man reached out their hands and brought Lot out into the. I'm sorry. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. So what happened? So Lot's standing outside the door. They're trying. They're pressing hard against Lot. They want to get in the house. The, the angel of the Lord, the, 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 these two men, open the door, pry the door open, reach out, grab Lot, and pull him in and shut the door. It's really, a, it's just amazing head pictures or pictures you can see in your head what, what's happening here. Verse 10, but the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with him and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so they wore themselves out groping for the door. So apparently a, a light so bright blinded all of them. They had no idea where, where they were, what they were seeing, and they were groping to touch the door to know where they were. Verse 12, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law? Daughters? or I'm sorry, son-in-law, son sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we're about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his son-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Get up out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. So he goes to his future son-in-laws. They're not married yet. He knows they're in the city. He knows that he's amongst those men. And he says to them, come up. Let's get out of here. God's going to destroy this place because it is beyond savable. It is beyond reachable. God's going to show his righteousness in those who leave. And he's going to show his justice or his judgment to those who remain and desire to live in sin. These individuals desire to live in sin. They want to be in sin. They know nothing else but sin. And they love it. They love their sin. They love the pervertedness of it. They love everything about it. And so God's going to deal with them. So Lot says to his future son-in-laws, let's get out of here. But they, the son-in-laws thought they, they were kidding, that Lot was just joking with them. How, how can God destroy this? We are invincible. We are a people. We are united. God can't do that. We, we don't even believe in God. Obviously, they don't believe in God. They don't believe in righteousness. They don't believe in holiness. They're, they're just lost in their sin. Anyway, so the son-in-laws thought he was just kidding. Verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. So what do we have here? We have Lot and his wife, and we have his two daughters. The, the future son-in-law said, you know what? We love our sin just like everybody else. And you know what? It might have been pressure. 
you know, if we go, there's pressure there. They're going to think that we're, we're like you guys, and we, we actually want to be like you who are sinful. That's another a lesson for us in this world we live in. We're so consumed in this world, and we don't want to do what is holy and right because it's odd. Who, who wants to be holy and right? Who wants to be a, a Jesus freak? Who wants to follow God? The world here doesn't. And I want to be like them. My friends aren't like that. My friends are sinful. I want to be like that. Anyway, so the angels of the Lord, the two angels said, get out of here. Take, take, your, take your wife, take your two daughters, and get out of here. But, in verse 16, but he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters. So what we have here in this, in this, verse, in this verse 16, but he lingered. It's, it's, you know, it's hard to say, you know what, I wouldn't do the same thing because we're used to this. He lingered. But beloved, when, when God moves, go. When God opens a door, go through it. When you see a cl- the clarity of Scripture, believe it. But yet, but Lot didn't. He lingered. He said, oh, really, this can't be so. This can't really happen. I mean, we're here. There's four of us. We're righteous. But they were only four. And God said if there was five, God said if there was five righteous, I would spare the whole place for the five. So it's not by mistake that it's only Lot, his wife, and the two daughters. That's four. It's one shy of the five that would redeem the whole place. Again, beloved, this is awesome. In the sovereignty of God, he directs and guides and saves according to his will. God is sovereign in everything in Scripture. God is sovereign in everything in your world, in my life, in this world. He is sovereign. You must see that. You, you must understand that. So anyways, they, he lingered. He, you know, he, he couldn't believe it was going to happen. So he says uh, in, in verse 15 again, Take up your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Verse 16, But he lingered, but, uh, but Lot lingered. So the man, the angel, seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being, being merciful to him. And they brought him, they brought him out of the city. They brought him out and set him outside the city. So apparently they didn't want to leave. And yet God in his sovereignty leads them by, his, by their hands out of the city. God is merciful. He's, he, he, he is loving. He wants to save that remnant. So there's a remnant here. It's really one of the first, well, we can't say it's the first glimpse of the remnant because we saw that in, 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 in uh, Noah and his family. There's a remnant after all that. There's a remnant with, with Abraham and his community and all the lost. And now we see another remnant. It's Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. It's a picture of the remnant of Israel. Not all Israel. Israel, just a remnant. There's a remnant for Christians. Not all Christians are Christians, but there's a remnant. There's a saving party to be saved. And God's going to do what he's going to do to save that remnant. In this case, it's Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. They, they wanted to dilly-dally around. They wanted to pack their bags. They wanted to say bye to their friends. They wanted to say, uh, say good, goodbye to those they knew. And, 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 and God, by the direction of the angels, I should say the angels, by the direction of God, took them by their hands, seized them, almost like he forced them 
and the Lord being merciful to him and they brought him out and set him outside the city verse 17 verse 17 goes this way and as they brought them out one said one of the angels said escape your escape for your life do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley escape to the hills lest you be swept away so the, the, he's, the angel's warning him, just go, don't look back, don't stop anywhere, don't stop for water, don't stop for a break, just get out of the valley and get on top of the hill and get on the other side. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster over, overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And may my life be saved? Verse 20, But he said, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zorah. So Lot knows what's happening and what could happen from, from when he leaves Sodom and Gomorrah to where he gets to the hills. He knows in between that there's bandits, there are murderers, there are thieves. They're never going to make it there. They can't sustain themselves out there. They, there's nowhere to live. There's nowhere to hide. They've been in this city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and in virtually everything has been provided them, water, food, shelter, friends, livestock, vegetables, fruit. Everything's been provided for them. That, that's part of the why they are lingering. Do they want to give up the city life? Everything's there. He knows that once they live the, leave the city and go back as nomads out to the hill country, out to the desert, out to, out to that area, there's nothing for them. He is going to have to work. They are going to have to work just, just to live, let alone to be murdered by some thieves and gangsters and robbers. So Lot's praying, you know, don't send me out there. Let me go to this little city. Isn't that good enough? And the angel grants him that, that request. And, and he says, okay, get to that city. Once you get to that city, it's going. Or as you're going to that city, it's going. Let's keep going. Verse 23. The sun had, had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. So he come, comes to Zor. He's in that area of Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. So everything, vegetation, everything was just wiped out, almost like a nuclear holocaust. A holocaust. Verse 26, but Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Why? Disobedience. It was a clear directive. Just obey. Just obey. Just be righteous. Just be holy. Just obey. And Lot's wife did it. She turned around and looked and she became a pillar of salt. Justice was served. Judgment was proclaimed upon her. So what the four ventured out is now three. Verse 27. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. So he went back home, came back the next day. He stood in the exact same place where he was the, the day prior. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah. 
and towards all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the, of the overthrow when he had overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zor. So they went to the city. The angels promised not to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah until they got to Zor. On the way up to Zor, and my probably in Zor, they could look back at the valley. Uh, Lot's wife turned around and looked, and lo and behold, she was petrified in salt. Verse 30 says, So when Lot went out to Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor, so he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine at night. I should say wine that night. And the firstborn went in and laid with her father. He did not know when she laid down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I laid last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the offspring from our father. So they made the father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and laid with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn, a son, called, called his name Moab. His fa he is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also born a son and called Benjamai. He is also father of Ammonites to this day. So here we have God saving the four. Lot's wife is destroyed because she disobeyed. The daughters are, so they, they go to Zor. Zor, he's fearful to live there because I'm thinking, my guess is that he's fearful to live there because those who live in that city understood that Lot was to blame for the destruction of that city. And if he stayed there, they were going to murder him and kill him. So he leaves and he goes up to the, to the hills. And so where it's sort of safe and it's just those three, the daughters panic because there's no children to come. There's no men for them to be with because the men hate them in the city. The men hate them everywhere because they are to be blamed for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So they panic. They get their father drunk, both of them at different times. They lay with him and they have children. No trust in God. God saved the righteous and yet they fall back into sin. God saved them, and yet now we have this perversion. God, they didn't trust God, that God could provide men for them, or that God would provide for them even without any children. They had, they had no faith in God. They had no, no relationship with God. And so they, they did this to their father. And it was just, uh, yeah, just a terrible deed. Well, let me, uh, let me stop there, because I've gone a little bit longer than I wanted to. Um, but I would like to get, let, let me just do this and, and maybe we could do something 
with time on, on, on another time. So l- let me cover chapter 20, because I would like to get to chapter 21 starting next week. So in verse 20, I'm sorry, in chapter 20, uh, this is Abraham and Abimelech. Sorry. From there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev. So, so we see that, that Abraham is on the hill with the Lord. He, he's up in Canaan. He says in chapter 20 that he's going to go down to Egypt, down to the Egypt-Canaan border. That's, that's where the Negev is. So, he's from, from, so from there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Sur. And he sojourned to Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, Okay, so again, well, let me just go through this. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gur, sent and took Sarah. So again, we saw that when he went down to Pharaoh into Egypt, Abraham did the same thing. He told he told the Pharaoh that she was my sister. And, he, and, and Abraham still doesn't understand that God could, could do anything. Again, we we got to go back to this go back to this verse in, in verse fourteen in chapter eighteen. Is anything too hard or too wonderful for the Lord? Why didn't Abraham get that? So he falls into sin again. He's because he's fearful. He's he's worried more about his life than Sarah, his wife, and the promise of God. It's it's just mind boggling. But we can't say that we would we would do any different because we are fearful people too. So he says, and Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Ger, sent and took Sarah. So in other words, he took Sarah into his household, hoping to lie with her, hoping to make, him, make her one of his concubines, his wife. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. In other words, he had not even touched her or, or moved towards her, the king. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? So so, so, so the king of understood that he was just going to kill the king himself who, who brought in Sarah, but he was going to wipe out the people. Remember, Sodom and Gomorrah is fresh in his mind, and he knows that God can simply take Abraham and his wife and his clan and move them out and just wipe those people out. This is fresh in the mind of this king. And the king is down at the border of Negev or, or Egypt, miles away from the, from, from the uh, where we believe Sodom and Gomorrah is on the south end of the Dead Sea. And we're not even sure of that, but that comes to be a good guess for all of us, or for some of us, I should say. Anyway, so, so he knows that, that the Lord will wipe out an, an innocent people. Verse 5, did he himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in, his, in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it, listen to this. <laughs> This is amazing. Again, here we, I got to keep going back every time, every lesson, every chapter, every verse. We have to come back to the sovereignty of God every time. From the Old Testament Genesis to the book of Revelation, everything is about God, his sovereignty. He is in control of every aspect. He knows how many breaths you're going to take in, and he's going to know when it's your last breath. He's going to know when that baby is born, that baby takes its first breath and cries. He's sovereign in that to the day that baby takes, that man or that baby takes his last breath and, and he 
goes to the dust. Listen to this. Let me start again in verse 6 in chapter 20. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I, Yahweh, it was I, the creator God, the sustainer. It was I who kept you from sinning against me. Wow. God put it in that man's heart and mind not to sin against God. Now, we're all culpable for our own sins, beloved. There, there's no way around that. God doesn't cause us to sin. And as a matter of fact, God doesn't cause us to do good. But yet God is in control of both those things. He knows. When we do good, we praise God because we say, God, thank you. When we do bad, we don't say, God, thank you for sinning. No, God, I chose to sin. I chose to be a disobedient. I chose to look back at Sodom and Gomorrah, and I received the, the judgment of your, of your command not to salt. But anyways, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. It was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought me and my kingdom to great sin? You have done to me these things that ought not to be done. And surely this is Abraham's fault. This is Abraham's fault. There is nobody else. God did not make Abraham do this. Abraham was afraid of the results of finding out who he was, a prophet of God, the one who caused the, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's related to Lot. And so he's fearful, and he falls into sin and says, Do this, Sarah, so I can live so that we will have a, 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 an inheritance with Isaac, who's coming in a year from now. But God can't, God can't, you know, he can't save us in this circumstances. In this circumstance, we got to do it. We got to figure it out. Instead of praying to God and saying, God, you are the God of my, you are the God of all creation. You are the God who brought me here. Father, you work this out. I trust you. And whatever happens, happens. But Abraham was weak, and he couldn't do it. So he said, Sarah, you say you're my sister. But now listen to Abraham's reasoning here. And, and Abimelech said to Abraham, Why did you see? And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did these things? Verse 11, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there was no fear of God at all in this place. He's thinking that he just left Sodom and Gomorrah. He knows what God did there. He knows those people. And so now God, and so, so now Abraham is equating this place as well with Sodom and Gomorrah. And he gives him his first, first excuse, that there was no fear of God in this place. And if there's no fear of God in this place, why won't you just kill me? Why won't you just take us? Why won't you just take all that belongs to me? Because there's, no, there's, there's nothing of God in you. There's nothing of holiness or righteousness in you. So what's, the, what's, what's, what's me to think that you're going you're gonna to be kind to me? 
how weak is that? How, how, how pitiful is that on Abraham's part? But that's his first excuse. The next one, and they will kill me because of my wife. So there's no fear of God and because, because they're going to kill me because of my wife. They will kill me because my wife is beautiful and they will take her and they will kill me. So no fear of God and because my wife is beautiful and they're going to kill me. That's the second. The third one is this. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So second line. It's common then, right? Verse 13. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you you must do to me at every place to which we come say of me he is my brother you know okay, that might be true through the bloodline but they're bound together sarah is his wife abraham is 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 is, is hers they are joined together husband and wife but yet abraham is trying to twist the truth he's deceiving he is a deceitful individual He's deceiving the king. Beloved, deceit is a lie, and a lie is a sin, and there's no way around that. But he's looking out for himself. Verse 14, Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah to his wife, his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. And he says that to Abraham. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given you, your brother, a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. So whatever he thought that he took of Sarah, he gave to her plus. And he says, You know what, Sarah? I hold nothing against you. You are vindicated. You are free. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife, and female slaves, so they bore children. For the Lord had cho- had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Again, we see God's mercy. We see God's grace. God's going to vindicate uh, the king. Uh, we, we see Abimelech vindicating uh, Sarah and, and Abraham. Abraham prays to God. He heals Abimelech. And, and God allows the women his wife, the king of Blimelech, and his wife, slaves, to produce children. Verse, verse 18, again, we see the sovereignty of God in everything. In verse 18, it's proof there, for God, for the Lord, had closed all the wombs of those house, of the wombs of the house of Blimelech because of Sarah. God's sovereignty. Beginning, in the middle, to the end, we see God's sovereignty. Every time. Every single time. So God blessed Blimelech and his wife and his servant's wife, he closed their wombs and he opened them up so they could produce children. What's the meaning of that? This nation continues. If that was closed, if their wombs were closed, no, no, no bearing of children, their society is gone. Things are altered. Things are changed. But because of God, he allowed them to be redeemed in that sense of earthly redemption. And Abraham prayed. God listened. And God, open the wombs of them. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this time. Father, what great lessons we have here in Genesis. 
Father, we see your Holy Spirit moving. We see, Father, your hand directing. We see Christ in the epiphany of, of the, the angel of the Lord who stood with Abraham, who stood with Abraham and talked and discussed the, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Father, we see this, this angel directing and leading Abraham. We see, Father, that your hand is directly in, in control and sovereign of all things. And, Father, we see your spirit moving. Father, may that be us today as well. Father, may we trust and believe. When you give us a commandment through Scripture of obedience to our parents, to our, to one another, Father, but, but primarily to you, Father, may we be obedient to that. May, may, we, may we have faith. May our, stray, our faith increase. May our prayer life increase. May we come before you regardless if we are uh, just so sinful that we can't even see straight to where we have little sins. And yet, Father, we realize there is no little sin and no big sin because all is sin before you. May we come before you and ask for forgiveness. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we thank you for your mercy. And Father, as, as maybe as odd as this might sound, Father, we thank you for your justice and your judgment for those who sin against you and even in our life, Father, when we are judged in the sense of we must come before you and ask for forgiveness of our sins. And we pray all this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let me close with the benediction. Let's see how this comes out. May we are